Romans 15, I'll read verses 22 through the end of the chapter. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are the debtors, their debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, indeed you are the God of peace. We are thankful that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word and its preaching. That you would convict us of our sins. Help us to turn from them back to you and that you would instruct us in the way everlasting. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The sovereignty and providence of God are two of those great uh, thematic doctrines in God's holy word. And they should be a source of comfort for Christians. When you think about what they are, sovereignty being God's ownership of His creation that He owns it all, nothing is outside of His control even, and the providence of God, uh, that He governs all of His creation, these should be sources of comfort for us. Uh, You know, our standards, they talk about the providence of God, and it says in the Shorter Catechism, they are God's works, His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. Especially in our day and time, we we should rest in that, that there's nothing outside of God's control, that He is, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, working all things according to the counsel of His own will. That God had a will, a desire, a decree, before even time began, and since the creation of the world, He's been putting into to to work that plan for His own glory and for the salvation of His people. And while we delight in this, these truths of God's sovereignty, His providence over our lives, we should also recognize that God uses 
means. And we say ordinarily because God can and has worked miracles, bypassing what we call regular means. What do I mean by that? God ordinarily uses means. In uh, Psalm 145, it says that all creation looks up to God and He feeds them. God provides for His creation. You and me, birds of the air and so forth. And yet, the Bible also says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. One of the means that God uses to feed us is work. Those of us who are able to work. And uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle who wrote this letter to the Christians at Rome, he was one of the foremost teachers of this doctrine, these two doctrines in Scripture, right? We've already seen in Romans chapter 9 through 11 uh, that he taught the sovereignty of God in all things, even our own salvation and God's providence there. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can look at chapter 15 and verse 32. He talks about his desire to to meet these Christians at Rome. He says in verse 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And he acknowledges, well, if it is God's will, I will come to you and see you. And only if it is God's will. And so he recognizes that. And even so, as we read this passage, we see Paul's plans, we see his tenacity, we see his persistence in his um, pursuit of being an apostle and doing what he's called to do as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we understand these to be true at the same time, God's providence, His sovereignty over all His creation, and yet man's responsibility and our due use of the means that God has given to us, these two things being true at the same time, I have a question, and I would like to answer that question from this passage. The question is, how is it that God would accomplish His will through the Apostle Paul and these early Christians? Because it is true that God is sovereign. It is true that God is the one in control, working out His plan and His providence. And yet, it is also true that He calls us and expects us to do certain things in our lives. And so, how is it that He accomplished His will with these early Christians? Well, first of all, I think we see here that the Lord accomplished His plan and His will through the apostles' faithful plans. He used Paul's faithful plans to accomplish much for the sake of His church, for the spread of the gospel. You know, in Proverbs 16.9, it says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so we should, we do make plans as Christians, recognizing that God is the one who directs our steps. We have short-term goals, we have lifelong goals, and yet God is the one guiding us all the way. We plan for tomorrow. Mothers, you plan perhaps your meals. Maybe you plan your meals for the week, I don't know, or maybe it's something you think about at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But you still make a plan. Fathers, you, you plan as well. Perhaps um, uh, some of you have planned your careers. 
or you plan for retirement 30 years, 40 years from now, whatever it is. And maybe you make plans for your twilight years, what that will look like. And Paul was faithful. He was a faithful servant of Christ. He made plans. As we saw, his great desire was to go see these Christians at Rome. Someone else took the gospel to Rome. Paul did not. And uh, at the very opening of his letter, he makes known to them his affection for them, even though he hasn't met them. In chapter 1, beginning of verse 10, he says, making requests, if by some means, part of his prayer, now at least I may, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So Paul had the ability to impart to give certain spiritual gifts. That was an apostolic gift. And he wanted to be encouraged by them and to be an encouragement to them. And uh, as he says here in our text in verse 22, he said, uh, For this reason I also have been much hindered. Well, what is he talking about there? He's been hindered from coming to them. Well, recall last time we saw his work and his preaching of the gospel, how he covered all of this territory. And uh, you can read about that at verse 18 and, and following. And he covered all of that ground. And so he says there in that context um, that his work in those areas was done. And so that's why he was hindered, because he knew the Lord had called, he knew the Lord had called him to preach here and to preach there. And he went there and he preached the gospel. And so now that that is complete, he can start making plans to come see them. And so he does. In verse 24, he says, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. And so part of his plan was to go to Spain, to the uh, outskirts of, I think, Western Europe at that time and today. And he wanted to go and take the gospel to the ends of that part of the earth. And uh, before he did that, he was going to go to Rome. So Rome was going to be like this hub, and he was going to go from there to uh, Spain. But before he did that, he had to go to Jerusalem. And we read about that. And the reason was he was going to take a love offering uh, to the Christians there. And that came, the offering came from those, verse 26 tells us, from Macedonia and Achaia. They were making a contribution for the poor among the saints there in Jerusalem. And so these were part of his plans. And he says, by the will of God, this is his desire. Verse 32 again, acknowledging his plans at the same time, God and his providence, his good providence, his perfect timing. Uh, if the Lord wills, he would go. You know, James talks about not boasting about tomorrow. That doesn't mean don't make plans. James says that we are to say if the Lord wills, not if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise. I've heard that, I don't know, but I've heard that it came from Methodist revival camps and we're going to have a meeting if the creek doesn't rise and prevent the revival camp. I don't know. doesn't matter. We just say if the Lord wills, if it's His will. So we make plans, we talk about this and that, and we could say Lord willing. It should say Lord willing. And we see the Apostle doing that here. And so this means that while he was arduous, while he made these plans, that he was also dependent upon God. 
I know some of you are type A's and you want to get it done. You get it done, but are you dependent upon God and ready to sit down and say, okay, Lord, this is not the plan. What is your will? May your will be done. So planning is good. Having chiefs is good and leaders, but it's also part of the formula as a Christian that we be dependent upon the Lord and be sensitive to what He has for us. So when we think about all these things, you know, I mentioned earlier in the service that General Assembly was this past week. Well, uh, one of the secretaries for our Foreign Missions Committee, Mark Bube, he gave this report. And in that report, he said, we need missionaries. We need foreign missionaries. You see, Paul here was that, and as I told you last time, we look at what he accomplished, and he probably was a single man at that time. And uh, he did accomplish much, but not all of the apostles were single. And not every missionary is or should be single. Um, So I, I just challenge you, even you young people, what do you want to do with your life? What does God want you to do with your life? And if it is to tell the gospel to others, maybe he's calling you into foreign missions. Parents, don't get mad at me if that's what the Lord wills. If they run, they'll do it anyway. Remember Jonah. So, um, consider that. You know, John Knox, the uh, Scottish reformer, who was a slave in God's providence, ended up on a galley ship. He was converted and ended up in Geneva. Well, there was John Calvin in Geneva, a Frenchman. And this Scotsman ends up there. He's converted. He studies under uh, Calvin's tutelage there and, and embraces the Reformed faith. And he goes back to Scotland to preach the gospel and establish the church there. And he makes that prayer, give me Scotland or I die. And he was consumed with doing the work of the church. Why? Because he loved Christ who first loved him. And so as we think about missions in general and doing the work of the church, perhaps it's home missions here, what tools do we have in our arsenal? Uh, is the gospel on our lips? Is it in our hearts? Are we ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3? You know, we've, we've taught classes, we've preached sermons, and there's more to do in this area, granted of having an organized outline of the gospel ready uh, so that we may teach people and lead them to the Savior together as a church. And the best way really to do that is to read and know your Bible. Because the Holy Spirit who's in you, if you're a Christian, will bring these things to mind and equip you. But there is some preparation to do as well. And speaking of preparation, as we look at Paul's plans here, We recognize that we make plans. In fact, speaking of missionaries, later the, quote, father of the modern missions movement, William Carey, who went to India, um, he once said something to the effect, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That was his mantra. And that's what he did um, back in his day. So what are your plans? What is your calling? As we look at what Paul does here, let us be faithful in them and not just simply waiting, although there are seasons where we are called to wait on the Lord for various things, maybe a long time, 
and he teaches us to trust in that time, but let us be diligent and faithful in our calling. So we see that one way that God accomplished uh, his will for the early church was through the apostles' faithful planning. Second way we see here in our text is through the uh, generous provision of God's people, of others. One way that the Lord accomplished His will was through the generous provision of others. If you look down at verse 24, Paul says, Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. And so he's, he's putting them on notice. He's, he's on his way to them. And he says, For, here's one reason why I'm coming, For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way, way there by you. If, first, I may enjoy your company for a while. He wants to enjoy their company. You know, this is another reminder that Christians like to be around other Christians. First John says, we know we have passed from death unto life if we what? Love the brethren. So for a person uh, not to be around other Christians, not to desire to be around other Christians, there is something wrong. Person's not a Christian, or there's conflict, or they're making excuses or something. But Paul wants to be refreshed, as he says later in this section, and he wants to spend time with them. But also we see he he's telling them, I need an offering. And so this is a reminder, by the way, too, it's a reminder to me um, not to have knee-jerk reactions in, in our day. Well, in my day growing up, there were tele-evangelists and you had to put your hand on the TV screen to get healed and all this trash. Um, and in the day of TV evangelists and people begging and asking for money, 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 we kind of stand back and, and we're hesitant, we're shy to ask about money. We don't want people to think we're about the money. Nor should we want that. And Jesus says, let the... Let not the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And yet here's Paul um, knowing that it does take finances to support the kingdom of God. And so he is asking for money. I'm not going to ask for money today, but just a reminder not to have knee-jerk reactions, and sometimes we should ask for money. And yet we should tithe and give our offerings as well. And so Paul here is asking for the provision of others. And it's a beautiful thing what happened in, in the early church between Jerusalem and these other two churches, Achaia and Macedonia. Paul talks about this, if not something similar to it, there in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, uh, where Jerusalem was in need. There were poor people in Jerusalem. The, the unbelieving Jews were there. There's much distress upon the early Jewish Christians. And so we have the book of Hebrews, the letter to them, you know, hey, don't turn away from the faith. Don't go back. And that's why. Because as Paul experienced himself, there was persecution from the unbelieving Jews towards early Christians. And so that existed and Gentile believers contributed to the early church. When, when Rachel and I, my, my uh, first two children, older two children, I should say, were in New Jersey, one summer I was... Uh, doing an internship. Um, it was a pole tavern, New Jersey. And near there was another OPC church in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Um, 
decades, decades before Bridgeton, uh, the church there at Bridgeton had helped financially to support the church at Pole Tavern. And so the church at Bridgeton over the years dwindled, and now, or at least while we were there, uh, the church at Pole Tavern was financially helping that church at Bridgeton, and they actually sent their associate pastor uh, to go eventually be the pastor of that church. And so there are times where we need to help each other. It might only be prayer that we can offer. We offer prayer, but we also offer our financial gifts. And we see here that, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, uh, that we are to support one another. He, Paul mentions that, you know, the Gentiles, they benefited spiritually, so they were to provide financially, or as he says, physically. And in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is, is talking about giving. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. He reminds us of the godly Christian motive for giving. And it is to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ out of thanksgiving for what He's done to us. And in 2 Corinthians 9, He says, So let us each give as He purposes in His heart. Not grudgingly. Don't hang on to that dollar as you you give it in the offering plate, he says, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. And he goes on. So Christ himself, his work is our motive in giving and providing for others. And we are to do so cheerfully, as we see the early church doing here. And that's one of the ways God advanced his kingdom, one of the ways Christ built his church here. And he continues to do it that way today as well. It's interesting in the world of connected churches and Presbyterian churches like ours, we have other churches that we're connected with uh, in our Presbytery and then the whole nation. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, we'll get to this point where we actually are giving what are called askings to our Presbytery financially, and then part of that is given to the General Assembly, and that's how we we fund uh, much of our missions, especially our home missions. Every year around Thanksgiving, we have the thank offering. We take up an offering in addition to our normal tithes and offerings, and that thank offering is the major support of our foreign missions. You see, our missionaries come home. Sometimes they get busy because they're asked to go to this church or this church. But when our missionaries come home on furlough, they don't have to go around and make, you know, to churches asking for money. And I think, what a blessing. What a burden to have to go and, and do that. And so we come close. It's not as personable because we're not giving from one church to another specifically. It goes into the pot and we, we divvy it out. Uh, but there is personal giving going on. I know in, in our congregation here that's happened, and, and uh, perhaps I, I got a, a view of a right hand moving over here, left hand over there, um, or there was words spoken about it, and um, I'm thankful for that. And that should happen in addition to our normal giving. And note the unity here. Um, Paul has this fondness. I've already mentioned his love for them. He hasn't met them. He wants to. 
And uh, this is just a warning uh, to be on guard because, uh, well, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking him he may devour. And our Savior in John 17 prays for harmony. He prays for unity in the body of Christ, right? That's on his heart. That's his desire that they may be one father as you and I are one. And we see that desire here on the, the part of the apostle. And what would Satan do? The opposite. Destroy. Divide and conquer. And so let us be on our guards against that. I say that because uh, we're a smaller church. If we were larger, I'd say that because we're a larger church. Because that's the reality of it. And so the Lord provided uh, and accomplished His will in the early church by Paul's plans and then by the generous provision of these early Christians. There's a third thing in our text, and that is that God provided and uh, accomplished His will through the gift of prayer. Through the gift of prayer. Um, Remember in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus talks about the establishment and the growth of His church. It is certain, it is without question, He says, for I, I myself, will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And our Savior before that in Matthew 6 teaches us how to pray. And He says what? Thy kingdom come. And by the way, the church advances through the preaching of the gospel. That's how the gospel of Christ and the work of Christ is applied by the Spirit to men. Not only inside worship services, but outside. And so, God accomplishes the growth of His church through means, uh, the preaching of the Word and the telling of the Gospel, but also through prayer. And did you notice what Paul said in verse 30? He says, now I beg you, I implore you. He really, we say sometimes, we cover your prayers. We strongly desire I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to pray in His name, and through the love of the Spirit, out of that motivation, that you strive, you struggle, you fight together with me in prayers to God for me. Why? Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, Those unbelieving Jewish people that harassed the Apostle Paul, that stirred up the crowds, as we see in the book of of Acts, against the Apostles, who had Paul arrested. Remember, Paul had to be led out of the city at one point through a basket. He had to escape that way. He says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that I might come to you with joy by the will of God. And so he's praying. He covets their prayers. He wants them to wrestle with God in their prayers with Him. By the way, Paul would have had some money, or those traveling with him would have had the money, whoever handled it. The roads were not as safe. They were Roman roads. They were safer, and that helped the gospel to spread providentially at the coming of Christ. But uh, there were those who were thieves, and they would rob and so forth. So he's praying for protection, no doubt, as well. 
But his concern is those unbelieving Jewish men waiting for his return in Palestine and Judea. And so he asked God's people in Rome to pray for him. The Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. He was a man of great faith, and I think therefore a man of great prayer. He believed and taught under the inspiration of the Spirit, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. But he also taught about prayer. He says, pray without ceasing. That's what Christ says through the Apostle. And to pray is to be dependent upon God, as we've said recently. But also, Paul is doing something else here. And I wonder how often you and I do this. He's showing his cards. He is sharing with them his concern. Perhaps his vulnerabilities. You know, we have a prayer meeting. If we have a prayer meeting, we have a prayer meeting. And I'm talking about the church in general. And, uh, yeah, pray for my aunt who is sick. You know, that's good. Pray for other people. Oh, yeah, pray for me. That would be more godly. I often ask people for that. I mean it. But do we really share our needs? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So we have to be vulnerable if we're going to share in one another's burdens. And Paul does that here as he asks for prayer uh, from these saints at Rome. Could it be that uh, you have unanswered prayers because really you, you haven't prayed? Jesus says you have not because you, you ask not. And I am thankful. Um, so last week I've lost track of time. Last Thursday, or the week before, whichever it was, we were fasting in prayer about our building situation. And that same day in the afternoon, we got a call out of the blue from someone that Isaac had talked with a long time ago. And um, he said, you know what? If you want this place, if you want to use it, you can't have it, but uh, you can use it. You know, we should have asked for that, you know. But uh, too bad. But uh, we, he, he said, if you want it, you got it. And uh, I just need to clear it with some men out of respect and so forth. And, I guess they could still say no, so we still need to be in prayer about that. But the Lord provided that same day. That same day. And His timing is perfect, as, as we're reminded. So, the Lord used Paul's diligence, his faithful planning. He used the generous provision of God's people. He used the prayers of His people. And there's one last thing here. God accomplishes His will from heaven through His own presence. And uh, you might be thinking, well, how does that tie in, Kevin? Well, you look at verse 33. It says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This, uh, I think, can be a prayer and a benediction, a blessing as well. Uh, Definitely it's a desire, a petition of the Apostle Paul. He's letting them know. And he says, May the God of peace be with you. The God who is peaceful. The God who brings and provides peace. He's already talked about peace and how we achieve, or rather receive peace with God. 
It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember chapter 5, excuse me, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so positionally, we're no longer at war with God. Jesus Christ removes that animosity, that ruined and fallen relationship. And so that brings the peace of God Philippians 4 talks about. Paul wrote about it. He said, be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's through prayer that this peace comes. That allows us uh, not to be anxious for anything. It enables us to be that way, to have the calm and soothing peace of God. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, he says it another way there. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. So there's prayer. There's the God of peace who provides peace. And he says, may this God be with you all. If you look in verse 33, he says, now the God of peace be with all y'all. That's the Greek. You is plural. You all. And then he says, all. So all y'all, however you want to put it, that's the point. Each and every one of you. And this is important. You see, he talks about being refreshed with these people. Why? It's because we are the church of the living God. As he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, you are the temple of the living God and His Spirit dwells within you. Right at Pentecost, He gave the promise of the Spirit who dwells in us all together and individually God's people being born again. Jesus comes... In Matthew 1, he's going to be born of the virgin, Mary, and his name was to be called Emmanuel. Why? It means God with us. When you go back and read the Old Testament, you talk about the the covenant of grace, and you read about it, what was the common promise of the covenant of grace that we enjoy today as Christians? God says, I will be your God, You shall be my people, and I will dwell with you. I will be in your midst. And so that's the promise. Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28. And in verse 20, after he tells us to make disciples of all the nations, he says, Lo, take out your highlighter, stop what you're doing, listen. Note this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. He promises His presence. And so His presence is our power for doing the work of the church, for doing ministry, for living the Christian life. And when we experience this and when we encourage one another with the presence of God in our lives, thinking about God's Word, that's the result of the Spirit being at work within us. And we encourage one another. You see what's, what's going on in the life of the church? So hold your finger there. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, 
because talking about the presence of God might make some of us a little uncomfortable. We need to understand that this is just part of being Christian. Some people perhaps focus on it. I don't know if you, you can't really focus on it too much. Maybe they misunderstand the signs of the presence of God in the life of the Christian. You got to speak in tongues. You got to swing from the chandeliers. You got to do this. You got to do that. No. But 2 Timothy 4, how powerful is the presence of God? Paul is in prison. When he wrote this, it's near the end of his life. And uh, he's writing to Timothy, verse 9, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. He tells Timothy, come to me. Demas has forsaken me. He's departed. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. And we say, poor Luke. He probably means he's the only one with me. Not that Luke is less of a person. But he says, get Mark. That's an amazing story in and of itself. How Paul... um, Paul parted ways with Barnabas and Mark in the book of Acts. Now he says, get Mark, because they they had a rift. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books. You see a preacher, even the apostle, needs his books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. And so Paul is learning what it's like to be forsaken, to be maligned, and to be alone, like his Lord Jesus who said that we would experience this to one degree or another. And then he has a recollection here when he stood probably that last time in the courts. He says, verse 16, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Then note verse 17. But the Lord stood with me. And what? Strengthen me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. You see what's on Paul's heart still? The gospel going to the Gentiles. Even in his death cell, we could say. Um, But he says, even though all had forsaken him, the Lord stood with him and strengthened him so that he was able to preach the gospel. To continue... In His calling. And so we need the presence of God. We need to know the presence of God. And I'm again not talking of something mystical. Perhaps there's a little bit of a mystery to it. But staying in the Word of God. Praying to the Lord. And knowing that He is with you. That He is working in your heart. That He is helping you to root out sin. That He is helping you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. To have faith and trust in Him. This is why we exist. This is why humans exist. To know the living God. What is our chief purpose, our chief end? 
to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. And if we don't glorify God, we'll glorify something else. We'll have idols in our own hearts. And this can only happen, you can only glorify God when you know the Lord Jesus Christ and are reconciled to God through Him. And then enjoy the power and presence of the Spirit of God in your own heart and your own life, accomplished by His Word and through prayer. And so then this same Apostle who gave us Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. And the same Apostle who gave us Romans 9-11, through 11, the sovereignty of God, election, predestination, all these things, is the same Apostle who is diligent in His calling, who made plans for the future, who prayed without ceasing and sought the prayers of others. So then don't let the biblical doctrines of the sovereignty of God and providence and so forth, predestination even, paralyze you as a Christian. Now, did Paul ever make it to Spain? We don't know. We don't know. We don't have record of that. But what I do know is that sometimes our plans fail. Sometimes we could say, if you want to say dreams, I'd rather say plans. They, they are shattered. Sometimes the retiree loses his life savings in a financial crash. Sometimes the medicine doesn't work and we lose a loved one. Sometimes a son or a daughter becomes a prodigal son or daughter. And why does God allow this? Here's what we know. Romans 8.28 He uses it for our good. What is that good? To be more like Jesus Christ. Why does James tell us that we fall into various trials and temptations or testings rather? Why do trials of life come? Why are we to count it all joy when they do? Not for the trial itself. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he goes on. When a trial comes in your life, it is because God is putting your faith in the crucible. That's the word there in James. Strengthening your faith. Teaching you to trust Him. That's why He allows unfulfilled plans Never to be fulfilled. Sometimes. He's teaching us to trust Him. And our faith, our trust in God, is what should drive us as it did the Apostle Paul, as we see here. I mean, think about it. His plans included 3,000 miles without a car. And uncertainty and danger. And by the way, Paul didn't know the will of God in everything. He says in verse 32, If by the will of God I may be refreshed together with you. And so then what is it that will keep us going in our lives, in our journey? Well, as we see here, by faith we'll keep going. We'll keep our hands to the plow. And by help from our brothers and sisters, we keep going. And through prayer, we keep going going, and by the power and the presence of the Lord Himself, we keep going.
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for recording the, the life of the Apostle Paul, his words to other Christians. They are rich, not because of him, but because of Your work of grace in his life. Because through Him, You are instructing Your church and Your people through the ages. We pray, O Father, that You would move us to follow Him as He follows Christ and to be more like the Lord Jesus Himself, in whose name we pray. Amen.